0: The biggest battle we will ever have to face is the battle between you and you. It's the battle of taking your mind to that limit and then breaking through. On the Mindful Experiment podcast, we will share concepts, universal laws, and interviewing individuals who have done just that, who have gone through the dark times and through those moments, allowed their light to shine bright. I'm your host, Dr. Rick Manzo, and I want to thank you for listening to the podcast and taking this journey with me As we discover different avenues to break through those limits, expand your reality, and evolve into the person you desire to be. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Hey, everyone. This is Dr. Vic, and you are listening to The Mindful Experiment. This week, we always have once a week, if this is the first time you're listening to the show, uh, we interview someone once a week, and then the other time in the week, I will have an uh, uh, episode of me just talking and sharing some wisdom nuggets, life nuggets, if you like to call it. This week, we had the distinct honor to interview Rashari Patel. Now, Rashari Raj is a mind and meditation expert and an international self-awareness coach teacher and speaker. She has taught hundreds of thousands of people in more than 35 countries the power of meditation, mindfulness, breath work and other ancient tools for assessing the innate source of energy, creativity and fulfillment within. Born in Uganda and raised between rural India and New York City, Patel was working as a prosecutor for the U.S. Attorney's Office and the Los Angeles District Attorney's Office when a chance meeting with the renowned spiritual master, Sri Sri Rav Shankar, changed her life. She left the practice of criminal law to explore the power of universal laws, and since then, over the last three decades, she has established more than 600 meditation centers and trained thousands of instructors with the art of living, helping expand the self-development and humanitarian organization into a global nonprofit. Through her unique blend of intuition, humor, and ancient techniques, Patel has guided government leaders, families, Oscar-winning filmmakers, Fortune 500 executives, and individuals from all walks of life in understanding how the mind works. How to let go of stress and how to be more resilient and fulfilled in their personal and professional lives. She has given talks and led programs at organizations including Amazon, Facebook, Microsoft, NBC Universal, IBM, LinkedIn, Gap, WMC, The World Bank, Shell Oil, Morgan Stanley, Harvard University, IIT, the United Nations, UNESCO, and more. This episode, you you will get from Rashari her her, there's an energy about her that's very childlike but a great depth of wisdom and excitement and passion in what she shares in this episode. So I am so excited to bring to you guys. Here is Rashari Patel. Roshari, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you. Happy it, to be here.
0: I'm so honored to have you here. I mean, your, your, your bio and everything that I read about and looked up on um, what you're up to and everything is just fascinating. And I think Um, you know, coming from the federal prosecutor prosecutor world and now, you know, teaching and sharing uh, ancient secrets and and spiritualism and all that. I just, I think it's fascinating. And so my first question I want to come right off the gates with is, how did, what, you know, what made that shift? What inspired you to go that route? Was it something like a feeling? uh, Kind of share your story a little bit. (laughs) (laughs) I wish I
1: could take credit for it, but... You know, sometimes the universe interferes for us and on our behalf. And I suppose if you're open to it, you move with it. So I was in L.A. I was a prosecutor. Uh, my parents are from India, quite traditional. And they were sitting there saying, OK, you finished law school and you have a job and you're in L.A. and you have your apartment. So it's time you start, um, uh, you know get married, settle down. So I saw a little sign that said, Pandit Ravi Shankar, who at the time happened to have a common name to a sitar player. I really thought I was going to a music concert and I was going to meet people. And in fact, it turned out to be a spiritual master from India, Vedanta tradition, and from there, I was curious. It's, I guess, one of the best things we could have is to be curious. Anyway, the universe had brought me there, so I decided to stay and see what happens. And I went through a nine hour program, and when I got to the office Monday morning, everything had changed. Everything from how effective I was, how fast I produced things, and I guess at the moment, more importantly, how I looked out of my own eyes. Everything seemed positive and close and connected and optimistic. And it just created more greed, if you want. Like, oh, my God, if nine hours could do this, what else is in here? And so I started exploring and and diving into it further. And, And a short time later, I left law. Like, okay, enough with criminal law and prosecuting people and putting them behind bars. I want to talk about freedom and peace and... Really, you know, natural law and universal law that, that really tap into human potential and, and maximizing who we are and what we can do in our life. So that's my accidental story from criminal law to natural law.
0: I love that. And I love how the universe, you know, isn't it amazing how sometimes the universe will just throw a, a, a curveball at you uh, and, and, and kind of just take you on a total pivot change massively?
1: absolutely
0: absolutely when you did oh go ahead go sorry
1: no i was just gonna say that i think that as a lawyer you know the left brain person i would have never made the statement and agreed with you because you just seem like it's all you and and everything you plan to do from a to b to c but then you really realize there is this additional element you know the variable that economists might talk about maybe they don't call it the universe but not everything's in our hand and I really feel like if we're open, if we get out of our own way, then what we want to do gets supported by the universe also, you know? So,
0: yeah. I love that. Now, when you were going through that change, did, did doubt ever come in? Did the fear come in that kind of go, wait a minute, Rasheree, what are we doing here? This is, uh, are you crazy? Are you, did any of that talk come up at all or is it just hundred- like a-
1: no, no, 100%. Yeah, 100%. And it wasn't just my own talk, you know? I mean, I have, a, as I said, traditional parents. It's a very traditional upbringing. And for those of you who know, it, like you come from India, it's all practical. You don't leave your homeland and make another home somewhere just to sort of, oh, feel good, right? It's it's all about success and migrating for more life. So clearly, I was going against my own conditioning But also the culture and the voice of my parents and, and the world out there. You know, it wasn't like anyone said, wow, great, go for it. Especially 35 years ago, nobody talked about meditation. We didn't really talk about mindfulness the way we do today. The truth is we didn't even talk about yoga like we do today. So everybody said, she's crazy. You know, she's lost it. And I had my own doubts. But what I think really helped me were, my commitment to look to myself, you know, in addition to whatever else I was doing, just that focus to say, wait, you have an experience that speaks louder than any noise outside or in your head. Keep the distance, you know, keep going. And I did. And 35 years later, 35 countries later, I don't know, 600 meditation centers later. And Hundreds of thousands of people later, all I see is it was the best thing I could have done. And I think it's the best thing anybody could do. We, we do have to give five minutes a day to our inner landscape. Um, and it makes all the difference in everything we want outside of ourselves also, you know,
0: the world. Couldn't agree with you more. I think the inner scape, uh, would you agree the inner scape of your world is what creates the outer
1: thoughts come first and emotions come with the thoughts and then comes action and then the results. And if your thoughts and your emotions are negative, well, the chances of positive results reduce. You know, it's connected and it's for sure inside out.
0: For sure. So how does then, in your words and everything, you know, you talk about life force, or I know you say vital force. Can you mind sharing first what is vital force, and then we can get into like the, the whole thing and how it influences our life and so forth? Sure. Um,
1: so, uh, you know, vital force, life force, life energy, to me, it's all the same. Um, Chinese, of course, call it qi, and there's so many different names for it. Look, we think of energy, that's the simplest word for it. And if I were to define that simple word energy, it means the ability to move. Anything you want to move in your life, you want to move from job A to job B, you want to create better results, more performance, stronger muscles, stronger body, you need energy. And I'm not talking energy just in the mechanical sense, like you know, sugar highs and caffeine adrenaline response. I'm talking about the energy that we come into the world with the innate source of energy that as children, we had so much of, we were full with what we could call vitality or vital force, you know, a little gurgle of a baby fills the whole room. Um, they have more energy than 10 adults in the house. You see, you say, okay, everybody take turns playing with this kid. Everyone gets wiped out. The child is saying, oh, mom, I want to play more. Because they have this thing called vital force. And it doesn't just run our body. It runs our cognitive function, our decision-making, our emotional regulation, our spirit, our, our well-being. It's directly connected To this force and no one's really ever taught us how to tap into it and so what we do we sacrifice sleep for getting our job done and we work harder and we work longer and we pump in some sugar and we go for our coffee break and god knows what else and at some level it keeps us moving but not necessarily clear and centered and grounded and calm and efficient so that's the vital force that we're talking about.
0: Very cool. Now, what, can, what are things that like drain our, our, our vital force? What are things to, um, yeah, just kind of drain it? We'll go with that. Well, the, the,
1: the biggest thing is our mind. It's our biggest energy hog. Thinking, if you think about it, um, I heard Deepak Chopra say, Anywhere between sixty to eighty thousand thoughts are generated with our brain just in waking hours that 's a lot of fuel that 's you know a computer that 's running all day and we 're never finding a way to plug it in so the biggest energy hog is our mind, our brain, our thinking, analyzing, dissecting, judging, doubting, and emotions, particularly negative emotions and everybody knows like If you are unhappy, you feel more tired. And if you're tired, the unhappiness increases. So there's a vicious cycle with how much we think, how we feel, and the level of our energies. So it's not the body so much that's exhausting us (laughs) because the truth is we go to the gym because our body is not mobile, right? The more mobile our body is, the more energy we release, the greater physical performance. However, with the mind and with our emotions, the more our mind runs, the less energy we have. The more we drain energy, and the more negative our emotions, the more energy we drain. So, it's this mental effort that's wiping us out more than anything.
0: Totally agree with you. I, I, it's funny because I do in my chiropractic office, we do a lot of neural tra- retraining and so forth, and yeah, yeah. It's, it's always fascinating how patients will be like well why do I like I, doesn't this have to get harder or shouldn't I be doing this and I'm like you're thinking of muscles the body there's, there's a different process to it with the brain it's just constant repetition and we only do it a little bit at a time with muscles you can go fatigue burn go harder next time go harder with neurology it's like it's just repetition yeah and to kind of break that kind of analogy it's interesting
1: it's Well, you know, the other thing I think is, and I've done that. Have you ever also done maybe network chiropractic? You see, it's so subtle. It's yes. almost effortless, you know, the different kind of techniques that are available. What I think people don't realize is for physical health, stamina, and well-being, you have to effort, meaning exercise, sleep right, eat right. You need energy usage. But with mind it's the complete opposite. You have to let go. The more you think, the more you wire up your mind, the less optimal it functions. So it's very subtle. Relaxing brings optimism to and health to the mind. Whereas relaxing the muscles, not using the body brings, you know, less optimism, less health to the body.
0: It's so true, and have you like have you ever like so like for example, Mark Zuckerberg, uh, Steve Jobs did this. Other individuals, I've read this in books where, and I, I mean, I understand the neuroscience too behind it, but like decision-making power, like we're yeah. only given so much in a day, and so Agree. so they wear like the same clothes every day just because it's one less decision they have to make to keep the reserves <laughs> up high.
1: <laughs> yeah, because it's like. Who needs to think about what to wear? And so they just say, okay, I'm just going to wear white shirts and gray pants, you know, and and done. And I don't need to think about, does this match that or that? I think you also would have seen the more options we have, the more our brain thinks and we actually don't even make choices.
0: Yes. You know,
1: 24 toothpaste in a grocery store, you don't know what to buy. So you just sort of pick anyone up in the end and you think you're doing all this research and due diligence and it's just pick one up and go. So clearly overthinking is one of our biggest challenges in the world.
0: I agree. Do you think that's happening more now with technology and, and social media and so forth?
1: 100%. I had a visual the other day, I was sitting with a group of people, and everybody was on their cell phone, which everyone's seen. The thing is, if you take that virtual world, you know, you're on the one hand, you're chatting with a group. There's a group chat going on and you're emailing someone and you're texting someone else. Simultaneously, you're sort of conversing with 10 different people. Just imagine that in real time, 10 people sitting in front of you, all talking at the same time. There's no way our mind can function. It's on overdrive. And unfortunately, not that there's anything, you know, technology brings all its benefits but one of the downside is it's making our mind more wound up that's what's creating what you see out there in the world everything from disconnection to oneself to isolation stress you know loneliness disengagement because we're mentally always busy we actually don't even sleep when we're lying down we think we were thinking all night a lot of people have that sleep they wake up seven hours later and they're like I don't know. I just feel like I was thinking all night. The mind never shut up. Didn't calm down.
0: It's so true. We live in a society today where our nervous system is not designed to take on this overstimulation. No. It was just never in the in the in the game or the program or this the the, the concept of it all. It was never designed to do that. So nowadays, like you said, I, I, I mean, I hear it often too. Like I went to sleep, I woke up, I don't feel like I even slept. I'm like, yeah, okay, that means something. Let's look into that. How can you, what tools do you recommend or you can share with individuals, the listeners, that can help them who have a racing mind? Who have, uh, we'll go with the racing mind first.
1: Okay, so I think that one of the fastest ways to recharge and reboot ourselves is through the breath. The answer is literally right under our nose. There are many ways, there are different types of meditations and meditations that use breath as a technique, not focusing on the breath because I think that that's a problem. Um, Most of us don't have the subtlety or the calm enough in our mind to even be able to focus on the breath or to even recognize the movement of the breath. So I'm talking about using the breath at discerning moments as an exercise, no mental monitoring, no focus, no needing to clear your mind in order to calm down or meditate. And the five discerning moments that I tell people to breathe long breath in and out is number one, first thing in the morning. The reason being, we often wake up with our sleep cycle incomplete, right? The alarm goes off, We didn't get to complete our cycle. Maybe there was a dream cycle going on. Maybe we were in REM sleep and we suddenly woke up or we woke up because we have to. In that case, we have that feeling of, God, I just got off on the wrong side of the bed today. It's the yanks that sort of drag our day and we don't feel quite at ease or as as, as relaxed. So the first thing in the morning, it doesn't take more than two minutes. You sit up lean against your headboard and you do 10 long breath. And I'll explain in a minute what I mean by long, but that's the, the pivoting point. Um, and then you go about your business. The second place I tell people to breathe is when you walk into your office. As you're walking to your desk, as you're maybe getting into the elevator or getting off of the elevator, do 10 breaths again, long. Why? Because between the time you woke up And you reach the office, what have we done? We've propelled our mind into the future. And we're thinking, oh my God, I have to do this. I have this deadline. I got to talk to my boss. I have a presentation to make. You haven't reached the office physically, but almost 10 minutes after waking up, our mind is wound and it's in the office. And so breathing has a way to quiet that racy mind Moving it out of the future and closer to the present moment, what we say, breathe 10 breaths, even as you're putting your computer down on the desk, just do the 10 breaths. The third discerning or opportune moment is just before you have your lunch. There's so much talk today, right, about gut biome, gut health, and how that affects not just our physical health, but also our mental well-being and mental health. Most of the time. Between arrival to the office and lunchtime, we're again hardwiring our brain to move into the future and the anxiety and the stress of what has to happen. And then we sit down to eat with our gut in a knot. We don't realize it, but it's in a knot. We're holding our stomach muscles in from stress. It's what most people do. So what I say Just as you're sitting down to lunch or maybe you've ordered your meal and you're looking for your table or waiting for it to arrive, just do 10 long breaths. Nobody needs to know you're doing it. It's the discerning moment of calm that makes the difference. The fourth place is on your way home. You're getting ready to leave. Whatever you need to do at work is done. Instead of carrying it with you, with all that anxiety, all the stress, what you should have, would have, could have, as you're getting into the elevator, do those 10 breaths. And then the last thing is as you get into bed and you're ready to sleep, you're lying down, you're blanket, cozy, comfortable, do 10 breaths because how we enter sleep determines the quality of our sleep. And most of the time we enter sleep thinking about a thousand things that's already gone. And so... You say, okay, the day's over, 10 breath, And just to clarify, um, long means longer than your capacity at that moment. So you breathe in as much as you can, and then you insist to push a little bit more. Inhale a little bit more, like an exercise, and then release the breath quickly. You'll see your perception will change Your mind will get into the present moment. There will be a calm, you know, slowing down of the mind in order to speed up the body and the actions and the results. It's an amazing thing. Nobody knows you're doing it. And it's nothing more than a two-minute pause in order to speed up your day and to accomplish more.
0: I love that. It's like little mini brain breaks and and, and resetting the energy of the body throughout the day.
1: Yeah, yeah. And, and Vedanta really focuses on that. Their whole Vedanta's conversation is rest and activity. They would break the day down into eight. But since, you know, we're in the world of McDonald's and steroids <laughs> and moving fast, we'll break it into five gaps of rest.
0: I love that. Now, I think that this is huge. This, this is a pivot change for everybody. Quick question. Just curious. So taking the deep breath and then uh-huh. going just that little bit more. Um, is there something important to that a little bit more?
1: Yeah, you know what happens? You're moving from sympathetic nervous system to parasympathetic. What has happened is our breathing, our mind, our emotions, and our sensations in the body have locked into a pattern. I don't think people realize this, but specific thoughts create specific emotions, which has a very specific pattern of breath to it. And what we want to do to break that pattern, to break the connection between our thoughts and our emotions, you know, the habit, if you want to say that, we extend the breath, make it a bit longer, and that dismantles your mental and your emotional connection. Does that make sense?
0: That makes perfect sense to me. Makes
1: total yeah. sense. Yeah, we're really moving from sympathetic stress, flight, freeze, you know, response to parasympathetic. That's when we break the pattern, the habit of negative thought, negative emotion. And the breathing is the simplest tool because it's connected. It's the bridge between those two aspects of our lives. The physical, emotional, and mental is bridged by the breath. And no one uses the breath, though everybody in the world has at least once heard, come on, relax, take a deep breath.
0: Yes. And I love how you talk about the patterning of with emotions and breath and so forth. Because like I would share with people, you know, when I'm trying to make them more conscious or help them be more conscious. And I'm like, when you're angry, you have a certain breath pattern to that. I'm like you're gonna be breathing probably a little faster than you do when you're not, and things like a long dose nature.
1: Yeah. And it's very specific, right? Breath of anger, we can call it A. It's fast. It's hot. The volume of air going in is very different. What nostril functions is different. When you're sad, you can't breathe the breath of anger because you wouldn't feel sad. You would feel angry. And there's a lot of research done on this. You know, They show people pictures or images of emotions. Let's say someone angry. And then they'll observe the breath. The reverse also happens. If you then ask a different person to breathe the breath of anger, guess what emotion they feel? Anger without the image because there is a direct link between the two. And if you want to relax, breathe the breath of relaxation, you'll relax without all the mental gymnastics and time and so on and so forth. It's under our nose, the solution. We just don't know how to use it.
0: Yeah. And why do you think we've lost that? Is it just, uh, how do they, you know, not focusing on breath? Because I know certain cultures, they're big on that. I know India and in certain areas, you know, they talk about the breath being the problem of the life force and it's what you breathe. That's what tones the body and so forth and things like that. Is it just uh, the West is so Yang energy, do, 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 that we just don't even become a, become aware of it and just
1: I, I, I think so. I, I think so. I think what happens is, you know, over time, we, look, I could simply say this with our senses, you know, the more stimulation there is outside, the more we get engaged outside. And it, it, it's, there's, so much today you don't even have to leave your house you could order something in the morning and in the evening it's at your front door and then you don't like it you shove it in the box and send it out and get something else there's constant stimulation and there's no place to look inside and i often say this you know the west brought us electricity and light outside so that what we see and how we move around is clear other than sunlight and the East, Far East, and particularly India, they brought us the light inside so that the inner landscape can be lit up and we can move with ease and comfort and, and relaxation. And I think that at some point, we lose track of our own well-being, our own health. And uh, uh, Sri Sri Ravi Shankar, the spiritual master, he says it very beautifully. He says, you know, we spend half our life to gain wealth, And we sacrifice health for it. And then we spend the second half of our life to regain health, spending our wealth, you know? So what's the point? And I think what we forget is the more you want to do outside, it really is valuable to pause, spend 10 minutes, five minutes a day, boosting your system, rejuvenating, centering, and then going into activity.
0: I couldn't agree with you more, especially on the whole waste our health to, you know, gain health wealth by wasting our health and then vice versa. vice versa. Yeah. You know, biohacking has become something that's getting very popular. Uh, I know I'm, I consider myself a, a neurohacker, biohacker, but, but long story short, how can, you know, for individuals, the listeners who are listening, what are some ways, because I mean, breath can be so powerful in so many ways. How can individuals utilize um, some basic, you know, biohacking tools when it comes to breath work and, and we'll get into meditation and those things.
1: Yeah. So, you know, one of the things I would say is I don't, it, the book I've written, The Power of Vital Force, it does three things. Number one, it's biohacking your own mind, meaning what is it about your mind that's draining your energy? What is it about your mind that gives it boosted energy? What is it about your mind that's just pure simple waste it's a conversation that nobody's taught us we don't really learn about our own mind and our own emotions so number one it brings awareness and education of how to stop it from draining and how to reboot it and then number two here are the tools and tips and techniques that energize the system whether that's breathing or, uh, you know, these notions of, let's say, practicing gratitude, what I call Yama and Niyama. It's an ancient scientist, Patanjali in Vedanta, who discovered five basic qualities that increase self-awareness, self-regulation, and therefore vital force and energy, and five basic qualities that increase and energize by being aware of others. And the environment around it, it's quite a, quite a conversation around emotional intelligence, but not cognitively, but really rather as action. So learning to use one or two of these things, being aware at the end of the day, kind of like practicing gratitude or making a decision to say, okay, I'm going to go about my day today and whatever comes my way, I'm going to flip to say, how is this a reflection of what I need to learn? Asking questions of oneself, towards oneself, also changes vital force, life force. And then finally, learning to let go. All right, at the end of a day, however the world has been, however your day has been, tomorrow morning you get to start fresh and new. And if you enter sleep with that consciousness, with that awareness, we really rejuvenate and reboost our energy levels when we sleep, rather than just sort of going through the motion of sleeping and not feeling rested and exhausted in the morning.
0: That's very cool, and I love how you bring up the whole the, the wasting of the energy again uh, for the mind and, and whatnot. Um, is there a meditation practice that you use, or, or something that you uh, encourage people to? Or, how do you meditate in, 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 in general?
1: So, I have a couple of different practices of meditation. One is using the breath, and it's a specific practice called Sudarshan Kriya. Forget the long name, but it really means the proper vision of oneself, meaning past the body, past the emotions, past the thoughts. What are we? We're also an electric system, we are a bundle of energy. And intelligence, that's how we come into the world, just look at a baby. And so the first technique I use uses a system of breath. Unfortunately, it's not something I can learn. It does take a little bit of time to learn, but then you can use it anywhere between 8 to 10 minutes a day to really transform how you think, how you feel, and act. Um, it's called, again, Sudarshan Kriya. And then the second Method that I use to meditate is mantra based, what I call self transcending or Vedic meditation. And the beauty of that is it's effortless. You're not monitoring, you're not labeling, you're not analyzing your activity or your thought. You're not even trying to clear the mind in order to meditate. Mantra is a sound, a vibration, and we use it in a particular way. And what that does is it settles the mind to quieter and quieter layers within itself because mind wants to go towards more joy. Like if you're sitting in a room and you hear something pleasant without any effort, naturally your mind, your listening moves towards what is pleasant. And so that's the same with self-transcending mantra meditation. It's a vibration, which is life supporting. And so it takes you slowly, gently, without mental effort, closer and closer to the source of energy, source of consciousness, pure intelligence.
0: And using these, as we talked earlier, when you're letting your mind just rest, does it then help gain more vital force to allow you to do more in performance and other things like that?
1: Yeah, there's a direct relationship, right? More energy you have. More performance you have, more energy you have, more happier your state of mind is. More energy you have, the more you're willing to connect and relate and interact with people. And it's a virtuous cycle. You know, happier you are, the more energy you have. The more energy you have, the more happier you are. And calming the mind down, reducing the thoughts, going into subtler places, it does two things it boosts energy and enhances clarity and therefore performance. And the thing with breath, which people may or may not know, is every time you breathe in, you take in what is called life force or chi or or vital force, every inhalation. Unfortunately, most people breathe very short and shallow because in the rush of go, 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 the stress, trying to get things done, we are holding our abdominal muscles. And so what that does is it's not allowing the diaphragm to drop down. And therefore, we have a short breath, thoracic breathing, or just in the middle of the chest. And we know that short breath triggers sympathetic response, meaning stress response. So instead of responding to something, you're reacting. You're being more impulsive, more, uh, you know, sort of quick-tempered, and it's the opposite we want to do. We want to elongate the breath, as we discussed earlier. So two things happen with the breath. Energize on the inhalation, and every time you breathe out, you release something. And I don't just mean CO2. I don't just mean the lactic acid in our muscles that we, you know, by using create. Uh, I think every personal trainer will tell you breathe, because it's the fastest way to empty the heaviness that we build in the muscles the lactic acid but also because it's connected to your mind because it's connected to your emotions every time you breathe out you release the stress from your mind it's how the mind goes to quieter states and that's a trick most people don't realize because when we're stressed we do the opposite we hold the breath we shorten the breath we don't breathe out, and then suddenly we gasp for air because the mind is winding itself up.
0: I love that. And, and just from a, a standpoint of like from molecules and atoms, because, you know, that's what we compound, what we're made, when we breathe, does that change the vibration of those? And that's why, you know, if those slow down, then we slow down, then the mind slows down and we become more effective
1: I love that you asked that, absolutely, because it's the breathing. It's like energy, right? If you have a piece of wood, you ignite it, what are you doing? You're moving the electrons, the energy is being released, right? And our breathing has a way to sort of ignite at the molecular level, at the subtlest level, the energy that we have. And it's... Changing our vibe, and we don't realize that also. Like, bigger than our words, bigger than our action is our vibe. And if you change your vibe, you can change your life. It is a subtle communication. I just had this thought like, yesterday I went to an Apple store, and you see everybody with their blue shirts. And as you walk in, there's so much activity, it's packed with noise, and people, and whatever gadgets. And you see, four or five people but you naturally gravitate towards one over the others and even when my friend is saying let's go over there i'm saying no i'd rather talk to that guy and it's i don't know the person but it's the vibe there's something that's calming or inviting or relaxing or dynamic or something that says i think he's going to be able to answer my question better so we gravitate towards vibe and the breathing the mantra the sound the practicing of gratitude. What it's really doing is, at the most subtlest, sort of the quantum, lower than the quantum level, changing our vibe.
0: Yeah, and I think once we we you're able to do that. That's why I think breath work, or breathing in general is is one of the greatest tools for like just changing your tone. I mean, there's been research out that says if you take sixty breaths, what it does neurologically. Um, will calm you and you can react in a more better balanced state rather than just as we normally do in society at least especially in the West um, just go and react
1: correct And, and if you take those breath consciously you change the game it's kind of like the observer effect right you know when your attention the experimenter's attention is on it you see it as particle when you move away you see this potentiality a wave and so one of the reasons why I say to people, do 10 long breath five times a day at discerning moments is you're inviting conscious at least 50 breaths in and out. And that does change your perception, which changes your vibe. So I couldn't agree with you enough on that.
0: I love it. Now, do you talk about all this in your book or is there because I know there's some ancient secrets about all this? Are we tapping into some of this or is there more to uh to share here?
1: No, no. I, I'm talking about a lot of this. I actually use a lot of science to talk about how we've moved from, you know, uh Newtonian thinking particle to Albert Einstein, where he talks about light and the movement of light and, and all of that. And then I move into saying, look. There's even more than that, which is where Tesla and Planck and a lot of the current physicists who are looking into consciousness say, wait, sapient, sapient, how do we recognize ourselves? That's the big thing about being human, right? It's the only mammal um, life that can see itself as itself. There is something called consciousness. We can talk about the Big Bang Theory from energy came matter, well, what was the intelligence that drove energy into matter? So I also sort of touch on that, you know, towards the end of the book to say, look, there is something called innate intelligence. There is something called innate life force. And if we can connect to it, relate to it, tap into it, if we just see ourselves as more than our body and our, you know, limited beliefs that we unconsciously picked up as children, we already changed from neuroplasticity perspective, our vibe.
0: I love that. How much do you think uh, in today's world is science catching up with spirituality and all the kinds? I
1: I think it's moving a lot. There's so much research out there from neurobiology to neuroscience. and, And as I mentioned, this whole thing around gut biome, you know, we're more bacteria than we're human. Um, and as technology advances, I think that we're getting even closer to really realizing that we're as much energy as we are solid, you know, we're as much mind as we are body, we're as much emotion as we are thought, and we're as much consciousness as we are ideas. I, I think that that's really moving a lot in the world.
0: Yeah. And we were talking earlier about like what the East and what it brought and then what the West brought. I kind of the vision that came to my mind was like the yin and yang just finally coming together and and creating this new new experience now. Right. We've had the we had the East and now all of a sudden we're very over dominant West. But now if we can take those two. Yes. And blend them.
1: Yeah. So beautifully said. Absolutely. So
0: beautiful. Um, but that's just, just listening to what you were saying. And then your, your book about the science and all this. I'm just like, that's, that's just something that came to me. Like, I'm just seeing it in my head. So I think that's where we're, we're, we're going down that path. Um, and the work you're doing is absolutely amazing. I mean, is there um, any other ancient secrets you have that you share in your book that talks about fueling your purpose and performance than what we talked about?
1: So I, I think part of fueling purpose and performance is to really expand the center of our identity. You know, I don't think we ever look in the mirror and say to ourselves, well, okay, my body's changing. You know what? Let me share a tip and then answer this question. Have you ever looked in the mirror? I don't mean at your face, but try to look at your eyes. Have you ever done that where you're just looking for a minute, maybe a minute and a half, and you notice that you can't quite look at both your eyes at the same time? (laughs) Yes. <laughs> right you can't quite look at both your eyes at the same time you're looking, and without moving your pupil, you notice that your attention awareness moves between the left eye and the right eye, and you realize that somehow your body's there, but you, the essence of you, is kind of looking through the eyes and i It's one of the tips uh, exercises I ask people to do just to see how they can change the center of our identity. Because our identity is based on limited beliefs, what I mentioned earlier, that we pick up unconsciously. By the time we're seven, biology of belief, we've adopted who we are, what we are, how we're going to think, where we doubt, what we have confidence about. It just looks different. And by the time we're 18, 21 years old, we're hardwired with that belief, you know, with not before. And so our identity lands on just that. I can't do that. I don't do that. That's not okay for me. But we don't really lean into life. We actually avoid or run away from life trying to make it comfortable. And so what I say is expand your identity. Yes, you're a male. Yes, you're, you know, female. Yes, you're from America. Yes, you're from India. And yes, you have your opinions and your beliefs. But what if you started to see that you're also energy and consciousness, what we could call awareness or, or meta-attention, you know, mindfulness itself is a quality of who we are, not an activity. If we could do that, and that is really the basis of Vedanta, meaning Advaita or oneness, that under all the division, under all the multiplicity and duplicity, is this quality that's energy, that's intelligence, and it's the same in all of us. And maybe that would solve not only our individual mind and stress and anxiety that we go through, but perhaps a lot of the challenges we see in the world, it would unite us in a different way. So it is one of the biggest secrets that I could offer. And if you read that chapter and you go through those two, three tools that are there, You notice in a matter of two, three days that, oh, I'm more than what I think and feel. And who I am at the core of me is perfection. It kind of makes all those self-help books obsolete. And I, I kind of think it's an oxymoron from Vedanta perspective because Vedanta says, who you are in your essence is perfect. It's just that there's a cloud covering the perfection the limited beliefs and there is a way out there is a way to drop those things through breath through meditation and the fastest is through breathing
0: i couldn't agree with you more (laughs) <laughs> it's 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 one of those things i love how you said at the end like we are we are that perfection already and i think especially in the in america culture we're very in that way of what's wrong with me what's going on here and as a chiropractor and and, and then a holistic practice or a vitalistic practice that i have um i always tell people they're like oh this is, what's wrong when we go through the report they're always like what's wrong with me doc what do you think what do i have going wrong i go you're perfect oh, there's nothing wrong with you and, mm. and it's amazing the puzzled look i get when i say that they're like yeah but the x-rays show this this shows that I'm like yeah but that's perfection because you know and then i tell them if it didn't happen you wouldn't be here the body does what it does we appreciate the intelligence of the body and i'm not trying to act like i know more than the body
1: and do they get that i'm just curious do they register it and say okay
0: uh, you know? it depends. It's sometimes more. some get it, and they're like that. They'll ask questions, and we have like a lot of education stuff. But it's one of those things mm-hmm. where the some will grasp it, and they're like, "So what do you mean?" And I'll tell them, "You had a cut on your arm, you know, it heals on your own. You do not have to worry about that. Yeah. Intelligence yeah. that took care of that. Yeah, you have a scar now. You know, you can think of that. What you're seeing there is a scar from what the body's been doing to try to keep you moving forward. Um, but we go through this whole process because it, it's a different type of thinking. Uh, yeah,
1: well, but, but also like, look, I just had this thought, like when you have, when you go out on a table for a massage, and you know, they're suddenly pressing against the bicep or whatever muscles against your shoulders, it's tight, it's contracted. And the release of that is movement of energy, right? When a muscle is contracted, nutrition doesn't get through circulation isn't as good, but also energetically, things are stuck. And when you release that, then everything starts to realign itself and, and to your point. You go to the chiropractor because the body's saying, Hey, you're not attending to me and you're treating me, you know, as if I'm one piece of solid object and I'm much more than that. And and you release all of that and allow life to flow through all the channels, right? Amen to
0: that. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. to the T right there. Yes. I mean, we, we you know, it's, it's the thing. We let energy flow better and communicate and intelligence flow better. I mean, there's so many different labels to it, but it's uh, just allowing the body to communicate better, raise the intelligence, the vibration and so forth. So it can experience more.
1: Yeah. And then it heals itself also.
0: Yes. And so, and just like we are that perfection, you just, it resonated when you said that. I was like, you know what? This is also what I kind of say in a different realm. Um, very cool. So how, how can, how can people get your book?
1: So um, by the way, if they order the book, it, you can go on Amazon or Barnes and Noble, um, The Power of Vital Force. It's being published on October 1st. And if they order the book before October 1st, there is an 11 day, online, um, you know, experiential course where I actually guide people through more tools and techniques that are not even in the book to really change and transform their energy levels and therefore how they think, feel, and act. It's a $525 value that comes with the pre-order, you know, $18, $19 books. I'd really encourage people to do that. And certainly if you want to know more and you're not ready to get the books, then Just go on my social media. There's always new content coming up by Rajshree, B-Y, and then my name, R-E-J-S-H-R-E-E.
0: And everybody, these will be in the show notes for you to get access to. Um, Rajshree, this was a a pleasure. It was a a breath of fresh air to communicate with you and chat with you on all this. No pun intended. (laughs)
1: No, no. Thank you. I appreciate it. The same at my end
0: forward slash Dr. Vic Manzo check us out on Twitter the handle is Dr. Vic 21 follow us on Instagram .instagram www.instagram.com forward slash Dr. Vic Manzo if you were inspired by the podcast pay it forward by sharing it with someone who you know can benefit from it you again for listening to the mindful experiment podcast sharing paths to help you rediscover your infinite potential